out. <laughs> and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to him again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Eliza. That was a great job. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. It is good to be with you. And if you if you are new and joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. My name is Steve. And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, or maybe you're here and you're exploring the faith, um, we are really glad that you're with us. And today we are starting a three-part series on generosity, uh, financial generosity. So is it strange that we're talking about this? I imagine some of you I see a number of people look like you're the, the Theans gang. They brought you, are like, oh, sh- why did we listen to the Theans and come to church when you guys are talking about financial giving? We should have left on Labor Day weekend. But so is it strange? Yeah, it's a bit strange because church can be strange. Uh, but at the same time, it's perfectly natural that we are talking about this because we want the priorities of Jesus to be our priorities. And when you read the gospel accounts, at least 15% of everything Jesus talked about relates to money and possessions. At least 15%. So that's as if every single year, for two months of the year, I preached on money and possessions. Can you imagine? Okay, so we, we don't do that. But here's, here's what's interesting about the fact that Jesus talks about money and possessions so much. Because he was not a shyster TV preacher who's trying to swindle money out of you. So even his most unfair critics wouldn't have accused Jesus of trying to manipulate money out of people. Why? Because he was poor. And so why does Jesus talk about it? And the reason Jesus talks about it is because he knows it's a discipleship issue, i.e. he knows that our faith and our finances are inseparable. Our faith and our finances are inseparable. And so because there's a, there's a deep connection between the health of our soul and how much we give generously. And so, you know, as I was, as we were planning our next few sermon series this past summer, uh, when we do that, we typically look at, you know, the past few series we've done just to see, okay, what books of the Bible have we covered? What genres have we gone over? Especially with the high turnover rate in the city, we want to make sure we're teaching the whole counsel of God's word. And what struck me is, you know, since our church started two and a half years ago, we haven't done a single dedicated sermon to financial generosity. And that's on the elders, that's on me, that's not on you guys. And so I want to just apologize to you all for, in this realm, not 
emphasizing, you know, even close, right, to the degree that, to the degree that Jesus emphasizes money and possessions. And so as we're still a new church and we're establishing a culture here, we, we, have, we have an amazing opportunity here to um, establish and cement a culture of generosity uh, in this congregation, which is really exciting and privileged place to be. And so uh, for those of you who are members here, call this church your church home. I, I want this for us. And for those of you who are, you're just passing through, uh, but you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you can take this and then bring to your local church where, wherever it is that you attend, okay? And so how we're going to start this series is we're going to look at the story between Jesus and this rich young man, and we'll look at the narrative uh, under these three storylines. So number one, we see money makes a promise. Number two, we see this rich young man believes this promise. He falls for this promise. And number three, Jesus makes a better promise. Okay, so money makes a promise. This rich young man falls for this promise. And then number three, Jesus gives a better promise. Okay, so first number one, money makes a promise. So Jesus has this encounter with a rich young man who says no to following him. We'll come back to that in a minute. And as he's walking away, Jesus turns to his disciples and look toward the end of verse 24. He says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus has never, he's never been a man when it comes to taking half measures with blunt statements. Okay, this is pretty provocative. And what he's getting at here is there is a deep, spiritual danger when it comes to having money. And what's important to notice here is Jesus doesn't take a blanket, wealth is bad approach to money. And in fact, it's interesting as you look at our modern culture, there are many people who have made an ideology, you could say, out of opposing wealth, right? Where if you're really wealthy, you must have gotten it because you've stepped on people to get there. And almost an assumed, like no questions asked, if you're rich, you're part of the problem. And, but Jesus never preaches that kind of ideology. Uh, Jesus works within the tradition of the Old Testament scriptures, in particular Proverbs. You can read a lot about this, where the Bible talks about the, the goodness of hard work and wealth creation so that you can then be generous. And so you could say Jesus and the scriptures have a more positive view of wealth uh, than many in our culture do. But then at the same time, and here's where I love the nuance of Jesus, he also takes a more negative view of money than, say, those who hold to a strong, you know, free market capitalist view of money, where, you know, everything I, I have is mine, I've earned it, I can do with it what I want, because Jesus knows that money exerts a particularly corrupting and blinding influence on the human heart. And because today Jesus is emphasizing the negative, that's what we're looking at. And in particular, what Jesus is, is getting at with this rich young man is he's talking about how money in particular promises to be a God, a God substitute, a substitute for God. And one of the best places to see the summary of this principle is a place in Proverbs chapter 18, verses 10 to 11. And in this passage, it says, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And then in contrast, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Now, to catch the brilliance of this pairing in this proverb, you have to understand the ancient understanding of the city. Uh, because in ancient times, there was no greater metaphor for security and status than a city. 
So outside the city, you have marauders, you have dust storms, you have wild animals. And so if you're outside the city, your safety is at risk. If you're a traveler going from one city to another, nothing reduces your anxiety and fills you with hope more than seeing city walls on the horizon, right? Because you know you're going to be safe. So it's a symbol of security, but it's also a metaphor for status because it's inside the city where you have people of influence and connections and so forth. In other words, there's no greater symbol in ancient times for security and status than the city. So now let's go back to the proverb. Okay, so the first half, right? The name of the Lord, i.e. God himself, he's a fortified tower. The righteous, right, all those who belong to God run to him and are safe no matter what. But in contrast, what? The wealth, right, of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it, i.e. it seems to be a strong tower, but it's not. And they imagine it a wall too high to scale, And so here's the essence of of what it's saying. Of every single thing on the earth, the thing that most promises to do what only God can do, it's money. It's money. Because money makes the promise, if you have enough of me, you're secure, you're safe. Nothing can happen to you. And the reason why every single person in this room, myself included, is not as generous as we could be is because we believe this lie. But it's just not true. It's just not true. So money can protect you from a lot. It can. But think about the worst things in life that can happen to you. Is money a fortified tower that can protect you against those things? So if you get a call next week, you go to the doctor, you get a call the following week, and the doctor says, hey, I know you're really young, but I have some really bad news that scans came back and you have a life-threatening condition. You have about maybe a year max left to live. Money will not protect you. And while your deathbed moment may not come next year, it will come for us all. And when that time comes, it's not going to be money that can protect us. Right? There's only one person who was raised from the dead who can protect us, and it's Christ. Think about some other things. If one of your most cherished loved ones passes away suddenly, if somebody you thought you could trust stabs you in the back and betrays you, if your mental health is spiraling out of control, can money protect you from any of those things? No, it's not money. It's only Christ who's a fortified tower. It's only Christ who's defeated death. It's only Christ who's pledged his unconditional allegiance to you in this life and the next. Okay, but if you're so busy, always, okay, I don't have enough money, I need more money, I can't give money, because maybe for you it's not security, it's more the status thing. It gives me the ability to buy certain clothes or products to make me look better or have a certain kind of lifestyle. Right, that's all the more and more refuge we're running to wealth for rather than Jesus. Okay, and so that, that, but it's the promise money makes, and it's a powerful promise, and we, we have to be honest with ourselves to grow here under Jesus' teachings by saying all of us believe this lie to one degree or another. We think money will give us what only God can give. Okay, so that's the first thing, the promise of money. So the sec- second thing, and here's where story is so helpful, we get to see how this lie plays out in the life of this, ri- of this young man. And what makes it so heartbreaking is how earnest he is. You know, see in verse 17, uh, Jesus is heading out, and this man, he runs up to Jesus, and he kneels be- before him as, as um, a symbol of great respect. And then he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And so Jesus taught and Jewish people believed that God was bringing about something called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, it's what Jesus inaugurated, but God will consummate it when he makes all things new. And the kingdom of God is where when God makes all things new, there will be absolute wholeness and beauty and justice and no pain whatsoever. And every single human being eternally will either be outside of this kingdom or inside of this kingdom. Okay, and this, this young man believes this, he knows this, and, and by the way, people still ask this question today, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It just takes other forms. Okay, how do I know I'm living my most authentic life? How do I know I'm actually going to have happiness in this life? Okay, so everybody still asks it, it just takes a different form, just for the record. Okay, but so this man believes that because my life is eternal, and I'm going to be either inside or outside the kingdom of God, a human life really matters. What I do for these 30, 70 years, however long I have, really matters. What my family does for this short life really matters. And so he's asking Jesus, what do I need to do to get into this kingdom? And let's see what Jesus says. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Notice Jesus is very careful. He doesn't say, I'm not good. He just says, why do you call me good? He's trying to get to the root of this guy's understanding of goodness and who God is and who Jesus is. And then he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So he names commandment of the Ten Commandments, number five through ten. Now, if you're reading the Gospels, or you're with Jesus for that matter, and this man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists, you know, five or six of the Ten Commandments. Would you be surprised that this is his answer? Yes, you should be surprised this is his answer. Why? Because so many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus is saying you cannot earn your way into the kingdom of God, right? You can only get into the kingdom by grace, by receiving my work for you as a gift. So why would, I mean, I would love it if somebody just came up to me and said, hey, Steve, just tell me what I need to do to be in God's kingdom. I'd be like, all right, well, salvation, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Jesus doesn't go there. Why? Because Jesus is a skilled counselor and he doesn't have a script He always meets each person where they're at. And so let's look at how he meets this guy. So he gives him the commandments, and the young man looks at him in verse 20 and says, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, Jesus was never afraid to call out hypocrisy, but here he doesn't call out hypocrisy in this guy. Jesus, it seems like he takes this guy at his word. Like, yeah, you've generally been a good, like, you're a good dude. You're, you're just a sincere guy who wants to know how to enter the kingdom. And then when you see the disciples in verse 26, after the man walks away, they say, who, then if this guy is not saved, then who can be saved? They're saying, you know, if this guy is not in the kingdom, then who can? Because they're looking at this guy, and they're thinking, as they look at Jesus, they go, Jesus, why did you turn this guy away? I mean, he has a better moral tracker record than any of us here. I mean, just recently, James and John asked to rain fire down on the, on the Samaritans. <laughs> All right, this guy isn't that wicked. This guy is wealthy. He can probably fund this little venture we have going on. Okay, we don't have much money. Okay, we need a three-point shooter. He's a Steph Curry. Okay, and what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and what he's trying to teach this young man is this, this customary goodness. Okay, this goodness that can get you so much in the world. Okay, it can get you a good job. It can get you money. It can get you a great spouse who's also a good person. 
It can make you a celebrity who a lot of people really like. If you're, I was looking up like the top 10 nicest celebrities and Ed Sheeran's one of them. So apparently like one of the reasons why people love Ed Sheeran is because he's so nice when you meet him in person. Leo, by the way, loves Ed Sheeran. So if you want to talk to him about him, yeah, you can ask him (laughs) after the service. Okay, but what Jesus is getting at here is this goodness that so many people prize and that God loves, by the way. When it comes to entering the kingdom, it counts for nothing. Because the kingdom is not something you enter into through your goodness. The kingdom is something you can only receive as a gift. So then you have to ask, okay, so let's continue. Jesus looks at him and he says, You lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So when Jesus says, follow me, he's getting this idea, like the one thing you lack, you have wealth, you're a good, the one thing you lack is me, right? You need grace. Why does he tell this man he needs to sell his possessions? Because Jesus doesn't do this with most people, asking them to sell their possessions. And the reason, I think, is because he knows if he just says, young sir, you need grace, like most successful and good people, this man would have said, grace? I don't, I don't need grace. Right? Look how good I am. Look how sincere I am. Just tell me what I need to do. I feel like I'm missing something. So Jesus can't go that route. He has to show him what grace looks like. And so why does he ask him to sell his possessions? And it's because Jesus knows, and we're told all throughout the scriptures, that every single human being has a heart trust. Okay, something that you place the weight of your life's and heart's hopes on. For some people, it's money, right? For others, it's not. And to enter the kingdom, that involves exchanging whatever you look to as your main trust for Jesus as the primary place of allegiance in your soul. And so for other people, notice what Jesus does. There's a a story with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. And in short, what he engages with with her is with, with respect to men and romance, and he tells her, she need, he says, because men in romance, they are your fortified city, right? So you need to give that up and come follow me. For this man, it's his wealth that's his fortified city, okay? And so that's why he asks him to give it up. And so now here's where he makes his move. So he looks at him, and then with the precision of a surgeon and all the love of a best friend, he looks at this man, loves him, and essentially what he tells him is, all right, you're really good at keeping the commandments. You've done a great job with five through ten. Let's start with number one, the most important. You shall have no other gods before me. Nothing shall be more important to you than God. I want you to give all your money to the poor and come follow me just because I, the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself says so. And the man couldn't do it. Money was too spiritually important to him. Is money too spiritually important for you? A few ways you know. One is the rationalization test. As soon as you hear we're entering a sermon series on financial giving, you immediately give a lot of reasons in your mind why it doesn't apply to you. Right, why either you shouldn't give more or why you shouldn't start giving. 
There's the envy test. Okay, you find out somebody has an income or a lifestyle that just looks amazing, and your main thought is, why can't I have that? There's the spender test. There's something about just spending money, buying things that's very therapeutic for you. Okay, maybe you do it when you're anxious. You do it when you're bored. If, if I can share something, okay, we're, in, we're under an umbrella of mercy right now, right? Uh, I was thinking about this, and during the pandemic, right, there were about nine months here, at least in Arlington, where the quarantine lockdown era was the worst. And so a number of you have made comments to me to the effect of, Steve, it just doesn't seem like you put a lot of stock in your appearance. Thanks, by the way. <laughs> And it's, I guess, generally, like, I spend my money on, yeah, I have my own stuff. I like to spend, just, but generally clothes and my, I just don't tend to spend a lot of money on. But during the pandemic, some of you guys are smiling for way too long. Um, I spent more money on clothes in those nine months than I did in probably about the four or five year period leading up to that. Why? Okay, I was stressed. I was anxious. I was looking for a fortified city to run to. So just something about the excitement of new clothes showing up on my doorstep, okay, like giving me some kind of semblance of control. It just feels really good to click that button and then track the, you know, box coming to my house, right? And so if you had asked me during that time, hey, Steve, why don't you increase your giving by one or two percent? I probably would have said, no, I can't. Was it really that I couldn't? Or was it just that wealth was my fortified city? Okay, for others of you, it might be the saver test. Saving money just feels so good, <laughs> right? And you can never have enough. It, you're always thinking about, I don't have enough. I just need to make a little bit more. I just need to save a little bit more. These are indications that money is too spiritually important to you. Okay, so we see how this rich young man tragically believes this promise. Okay, so how... Can we be freed of this promise of money? And we need to look at Jesus now. He gives a better promise. And what I love here is notice in, at the end in verse 27, he looks at them and he says, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. I.e., first of all, salvation is a miracle. That's impossible apart from God. But then also, to, because money is so powerful, it's only possible through God's Spirit working in us that we can be freed from its grip. Okay, and so, but through God's Spirit, we can be freed from its grip and become more generous people. So, what are the promises that Jesus gives? And it's a twofold promise, and the first one is we need to see his promise of long-term gain. Okay, long-term gain. So, here's where a pastor in our network, Hunter Beaumont, was really helpful for me on this. We have to ask the question, when Jesus says you lack one thing, and he, he gives this man an opportunity to sell his possessions and follow Jesus, was Jesus asking this man to make a sacrifice? Or was he inviting this young man to have an upgrade? How we answer that question makes all the difference in the world, right? Was he asking this man to make a sacrifice or was he inviting him into an upgrade? And the thing about this rich young man is he's really good at assessing trade-offs. Okay, in order to have a lot of money, you better be good at assessing good deals versus bad deals. Okay, but because of his blindness, right? He made the worst assessment he's ever made. And here's what he missed out on. So here's what's amazing. Notice Jesus said, 
you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me? So, so many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus will heal somebody and they'll say, Jesus, I want to follow you. He goes, no, no, go back to your hometown. You just tell your family, tell your friends. He rarely asks people to come and follow him. What he's inviting this guy to do is to come and be a disciple. He's giving him the opportunity to have a name. Right? This man could be a Peter or a James or a John or a Martha or a Mary. These are names that have endured for millennia. What's this guy's name? He doesn't have one. All we know him as is the rich young ruler, right? Because for him, his net worth was his self-worth, right? For him to lose his money would be to have nothing. All of his identity and sense of self was wrapped up in his money. But he could have had a name, And so for you, what the invitation is first, you know, if you're not following Jesus, the only way you get a name that endures is to enter his kingdom through the grace that he offers, through his life, death, and resurrection. But then once you're in his eternal kingdom, right, the way that you invest in things that are eternal, one of the ways you do that is by giving of your finances to the Lord's kingdom. And then why it's even more of a long-term gain is because One of the best and surest ways to experience the unmatched power and friendship and presence that Jesus gives is to be dependent on him. And you can't be dependent when wealth is your fortified city. Okay, so when Jesus asks you and me, okay, to first follow him and then to give generously, okay, we need to see the name and the long-term investment that endures. I mean, what an opportunity, right? When we get to the new earth, right, our, our clothes, our retirement, our homes, they're not going to make it there. Right? It's going to be what have we invested into God's kingdom. That's what's going to last. Okay, so first, long-term gain, gain. Second, we need to see the present wealth he gives us. Okay, present wealth. So I just, I want to be clear here as we've been talking about how Jesus is calling us into greater levels of generosity. If you're sitting here right now and you have shame over the fact that you aren't giving more than you are, or maybe that you're not giving anything at all, you should feel no shame. Why? Because that's not how this gospel thing works, okay? And that's never how Jesus motivates Okay, because shame can motivate maybe to give a one-time gift or maybe give for six months, but what Jesus is after is your heart, and shame doesn't change a heart. Here's what changes a heart. So you have to see how, I love this. So Jesus, verse 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Right before he asked him to give up much to gain everything, it says he looked at him and loved him. It was interesting. On, on the way over here today, I stopped by a coffee shop, and, you know, everyone starts selling pumpkin stuff, like, in July, and so this coffee shop is doing that, and they had a, this pretty neat artwork on the wall. It was a fall tree with the leaves falling, and what you could do is they had these leaf sticky notes, and what they asked through, through their instructions, basically, just write what you're thankful for on a leaf, and then put it on the wall. So as I'm waiting for my 
uh, oat milk latte because, yes, I live in Arlington. Um, I'm just reading what people have written. You know what wasn't on there? Money. You know what made up about 95% of people's responses? My friends who cared for me during a really hard time. My parents. My children. My spouse. My coworkers. My corgi named Waffles. Why was that, I mean, just across the board, people's responses? Because there's no greater wealth than love. With the corgi, maybe put an asterisk there. (laughs) There's no greater wealth than love. And it says Jesus looked at this man and loved him. And so in order for us to make Jesus our fortified city and not wealth, what we need to do, and here's the key to everything, is we need to look at the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, you say. Okay. He was a young guy, really good, and he was asked to give up all he had and give to the poor, but his security and identity was so wrapped up in his wealth that he kept it all to himself. No, not that rich young ruler. See the other one? There's two. Jesus. Jesus was about 30... 31, during this exchange, Jesus owned everything in heaven and earth. And he looked at you and loved you and left it all behind, coming to earth to obey every single commandment, yes, even the first one, for you. And then he goes to the cross, and the thing about the cross is (laughs) the love that Jesus had with God the Father and God the Spirit was as central to his happiness, his insecurity, as this guy's money was for him. And he gave it up. That's what he experiences on the cross as he bears the weight of all the worlds in your selfishness and sin and then raises from the dead to bring you into communion with the triune God and give you life eternal in his kingdom. And that security in his kingdom is not based on your goodness. It's based on his goodness. And as you look at him, I mean, can you ask for a better fortified city? Security? If he did that for you and he continues to stick with you by his spirit in you and his church around you, do you think he's not going to carry you into the new earth where every fear and wound of yours is healed? Significance? Status? To be loved like that by someone as great as that? And so as you look at the unparalleled power and compassion of Jesus, all gentled toward you, that's when money just becomes money. And you can hold it with an open hand and give more to his kingdom and give more to others 
And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to make this very clear. We do not want your money. We would not like you to give today. What our plea is for you is to not be like this rich young man who was looking at the Lord himself in the eyes and he walked away and just receive his offer of grace. Giving comes after that, but first it's receiving Jesus. And second, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about the nitty-gritty, right, of how to give and how do we assess how much to give and what about, you know, if I have a medical condition, right? All, the, all these different little questions we can ask. So just my encouragement for you for this week is just to work with the Lord and with those who you trust, just to ask the question, how? Because it is for all of us. How is wealth my fortified city? And how is God inviting me not into a sacrifice, but into an upgrade where my patterns of giving with my money and my time more closely resemble the one who first loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the goodness of your son. I thank you so much for um, making a pledge with him before the beginning of time to accomplish our salvation. Uh, thank you for preserving this story, Lord. Um, so that we can just have our eyes awake, and I pray that you'll help all of us to become more generous people, not out of shame or guilt, uh, but because you've truly changed our hearts through the power of your Spirit. And it's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen.